so yeah, Awaken is interesting in that um, the the music came to me first, which is not unusual, but it's certainly extremely unusual the way that this music came to me. And and I've had this happen exactly one time in the, the song came to me in a dream. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. You're joining me for a guest episode of the Tom Petty Project podcast. I haven't been doing intros for guests for a while, but after a suggestion from a listener and a pal, um, I thought adding them in again would be maybe a good idea. So this is me introing today's guest. So my second guest member chat is with the wonderful Russell Mark from the brilliant duo The Next Doors, as well as several other bands and different projects. We talked about shooting videos, the band dynamics of playing in a duo, especially where one half plays cello, uh, and of course, all things petty. Don't forget to check out the episode notes to find links to everything that Russell has going on. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Tom Petty. Tom Petty Project. Tom Petty. Hey, Tom Petty Project. So obviously as well as being a musician, it seems to me that you do have some sort of experience on the production, recording, on the sort of engineering side. So what's your journey with, let me just, let's start there and then we'll probably end up going backwards. Great. What's your journey with music? Like when did you get into sort of recording and, and sort of taking it seriously rather than just sort of playing, you know, playing live? And Yeah, I mean, I started playing when I was 12, 13 years old. We had a piano in the house. I'm yep. like the fifth of six kids. So, okay. and they were all encouraged to take piano lessons and they didn't really take to it so by the time i came around they had kind of given up so of course i naturally gravitated <laughs> right to it and started uh you know figuring things out playing by ear and um and then you know got lessons and i i, I, I basically i refused to take lessons unless in addition to whatever they were going to teach me you know classical and and reading yeah. music and stuff like that, that that it was also someone who encouraged by ear learning and, and that kind of thing. And, and from there, I, I ended up playing uh, with a couple of buddies in, in high school for like for all four years of high school. And, and we did all of our own recording. So it, they kind of developed at the same time, um, the musicianship, but also okay. just learning about recording. And, you know, we had an old Yamaha cassette four track recorder for most of the time that we were yeah. doing our thing. And and we even, I remember once where we, we went over to our buddy's place who had a, a Mac uh, computer and, right. and managed to get MIDI happening between keyboards and stuff and recording on the computer. So, um, and then I pursued it in college. So I, I made music production part of my degree program um, okay. at University of Arizona. Uh, so that when I came out to LA, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, um, I'm going to be a rock star and the fallback plan is to do audio engineering or production. They really just were simultaneous. When you say, I've talked to lots of people about that. You, you have to be a musician really to be an engineer, right? Because you, I don't think you can, I'm, I'm sure you can. I mean, I'm sure there are engineers out there who don't really play that actively, but it just changes the way that you hear the music and, and your understanding of, oh, okay, well, I have to capture this performance. This player's doing this, so I need to work around that rather than, no, no, just you do that. You know what I mean? Like the, the focus becomes different when you play yourself. Yeah, I think it would be very difficult to engineer or, and to some degree to produce without playing. And, and I mean, right down to the fact that, you know, 
if uh, if an artist says, okay, punch me in on the C chord, yeah. um, it's super helpful if you, even if you're not good at guitar, if you understand, if you can see the shapes. Yeah. And you know what a C chord is. And, the, and just because you're a musician doesn't mean you recognize chords on a guitar. So having some vocabulary for all that stuff, you know, definitely yeah. helps. And I would say the same thing about just fellow musicians. You know, it, it helps if the drummer, if I can say, let's go in on C, you know, yeah. and, and they recognize that chord. Um, but yeah, they definitely. And I think that, I mean, it's hard for any musician not to have any sense of the sound that they're after. So yeah, I mean, the average musician might not be a, a recording engineer and might not think that they have those skills. And maybe in a technical sense, they don't. But I still yeah. think that any musician who is used to recording understands the sound they're going for and can react to, you know, no, that that's too ambient, you know, we're getting too much room, let's tighten up the sound, you know, just that, yeah. that type of stuff. That's part of your sound. It also changes. I mean, I think, as a musician, it's one thing, but then as a producer or an engineer, it's different. So you'd listen to music differently too, right? You just, you hear things that, you know, if someone's just listening to music casually or recreationally, they don't hear, you know, that there's, there's that really cool little bass lick in there and it's doubled or, or whatever, those little tiny things that we hear. And it's like, oh, that's so cool. And it might just be two notes in a song that it just blows your mind. That's right. Yeah. And, and along those same lines, you might hear a song that's just like, under normal circumstances, you might be like, well, that's a crap song. But but if you're interested in this type of thing, then it's well, that's a crap song that sounds great. <laughs> you know, and there's all sorts of fun little production stuff going on. Doesn't make it better. It's still lipstick on a pig, but it's fun. You know, it's another. Yeah, you're right. It just enhances your listening experience. I was talking to my friend Randy, though, too, about it, and he says the, the, the downside of that sometimes is, though, that you do notice, you know, if you if you're really attuned to it, it's like, oh, man, that. It's clipping there, or they're they've really sort of they've, they've got the, the sort of the levels all wrong, and this or the mix is poor, which is always you know a complaint about any any bad album. It's like is the mix good? Uh, usually, it's the if the mix is off, everything else can't be salvaged. Yeah, that's right. But at the same time, you know, some of this is genre specific too. So I mean, you listen yeah. to some you know, Ramon song, and you just think that's the worst drum sound I've <laughs> ever heard. And how much does it affect your enjoyment of the song? exactly zero so yeah. you know yeah no no for it, sure yeah, yeah. Well, like i said that that's when it's intentional though, right if you're going for that that garage band aesthetic or if, or if you're not even going for that if that's just who you are right then it's good right. to capture that right so yeah. yeah well i wanted to talk then this is a good segue then into the song that you'd sent me and one of the reasons that we sort of we ended up connecting is is awaken the new song that you have with the next doors right production on that is fantastic so oh, I wanted to ask you, you about, did, so did you produce that yourself? Yep. Yeah, sure did. Okay. Um, and our whole record uh, that, um, so yes, we're, I'm one half of the next doors. Um, and uh, we made a record, put it out last year called Linda Vista. Um, so the whole thing was, you know, it's essentially was a COVID project. Um, yeah. My wife, uh, she's Mika Larson. She's a cellist, um, and we've been playing together. I mean, quite literally, from the minute we met each other, we were we were playing together. Okay. Um, so I would drag her on. So, I mean, look, when you you know when you're dating and then marry a cellist, I mean, you're not going to just <laughs> let it sit in the case. That's not going to happen. So I yeah. pulled her into you know every project I've done, every artist I produce, you know whatever it is. I'll get her in the studio. I'll get her on stage. 
Um, And then once it became clear that the COVID lockdown was not, in fact, going to be three weeks, um, then I started just putting together some songs that I thought might go nicely together in a for something that we could record. So that whole album was recorded uh, just at my home studio where I'm sitting right now, which uh, you can never tell from just one little angle for all you know this is um a vast expanse but it's (laughs) it's a it's a tiny box and um and it works there are songs where uh that we recorded in the living room i set up the drums in the kitchen once just to get a slightly larger sound but but yeah i did produce and engineer the record um here at at home in pasadena california i mean Um, but mike campbell and jeff lynn and tom petty showed that you don't need a big studio in LA to make a great record and a great sounding record, right? That's right. Full Moon Fever was recorded in a garage, right? Yep. Yeah, which which is ironically the the most um, tricked out production <laughs> of all of them. Probably it's the one that sounds the least like it was recorded in a garage. So yeah. So that's you're exactly right. Uh, the expertise of the people in front of and behind the board um, can can make or break um, anything. And yeah, I, I like that whole aesthetic of a band renting a house you know somewhere and and uh, like so many have done um so famously over the years as opposed to you know capital and abbey road and all that um which of course is also awesome um so yeah thank you no I, i mean you know i pride myself on being able to make things sound at least you know, at least pretty good. And I beat myself up the same as anybody over. Yeah. Why can't I make it sound, you know, <laughs> just exactly like I, but you know, it's all part of the, at a certain point, you just don't worry about it and you hope, well, it's a pretty good song and it's a pretty good recording and yeah, let that be enough. Well, and as a, you know, as a hobbyist drummer myself, the first thing yeah. I was, I did the drum sound. Did the drum sound really good? They said, I was like, when drums sound, I, the only word I can ever come up with is present. Like if I if it sounds like I can I'm sitting listening to the drummer like listening to a live band because the drums live drums sound a specific way and not the way they sound on Full Moon Fever right like because that's got a very right. like said, a produced sound. but that's what right. I love about the drums on Awaken is that they sound I I feel like I'm just sitting across from the drummer and listening to them play which is that's what I kind of like. that's the way I like drums to sound there you go and and like yours my my drum kit is about the same distance from you as my so yeah and. <laughs> And he was right here. And that's actually, that's the only, I think that's the only thing on the record that was, that we recorded someone else for. Everything else we sort of did ourselves, but that one was post-vaccine. And and it was a demo that I had recorded years before. Um, and it was myself playing drums, which is never a good thing. So, but, <laughs> but I was close. I was close to letting it go and saying, ah, it's probably good enough. And then, you know, that little voice says like, uh uh-uh. So I did yeah. have a friend of ours come in and and lay down a new drum track. But yeah, for the whole record, it's kind of an interesting challenge that I didn't mix things exactly the way that I might normally because, quote, normally in not, you know, 99 times out of 100, if there's a cello on a track, it's a background instrument or semi foreground instrument or it's part of a quartet or it's anything like that but truly you know that cello is i consider one half of our sound you know it's essential so to to make sure that it doesn't sound like a background instrument that means that there are certain other elements that might 
normally be more in the foreground that become more background, like use of bass on the record overall is pretty light. Some songs yeah. don't have one at all. Some of them are, are you know, mixed quite back because it competes with the cello, which is yeah. not what we're after. And the drums on Awaken, I probably would normally mix drums a little bit louder. Yeah. But, you know, it's just like, it's a, it's a different, it's a different focus. When the cello gives, it just gives that bottom end such a different tonal quality. Right. Really, because, you know, you, you, your bass is very rhythmic, with the cello has much more of that flow to it. So I'm sure that does change even how you write. Because if you're thinking, you know, or certainly arranged, maybe not right, but how you're going to arrange it, because you're going to think, well, I can't really punch there the same way I would with a bass guitar, but the cello is going to add this different dimension that's going to take the song in a completely different direction, which I think is super, super cool. And like I was going to say that, you know, we've got the black keys, we've got the white yeah. stripes, there's lots of drum and guitar combos, but I don't know that I've ever heard a guitar and cello. Two piece. That's not a lot. There's not a lot of cello focused bands out there that aren't string quartets or or super. So no, that's exactly right. And you're and you're right. Yeah, for arrangement, for sure. But even writing, you know, every once in a while, there'll be something we do where where it's a bit of uh, what you might call assignment writing. And in Mm -hmm. those cases, yeah, I'll I'll go to her first and say, hey, if we want something to have a certain fast thing going on, then, you know, what key? Yeah. Should it be in, you know, otherwise I'll write something and she'll be like, eh, that's not the best key, but I'm a professional, <laughs> no worries. But if it's something that's a little less like, oh, this song, you know, just came to me and fl- flowed through my finger. Like we just wrote a theme song for a local business. Okay. Um, so in that case, it was truly from scratch. I wasn't digging into ideas I already had. So in a case like yeah. that, it's like, yeah, you think about it right from the get-go, that cello is going to be half of it, and let's make sure it's in a key where where the stuff that we want to have happen is good and not a struggle. Yeah. Well, yeah. and even that stuff you don't think about necessarily until you've been doing what you do for a while is, I know that my friend was saying, like, you know, he would write horn lines sometimes, and the trumpet would play, would say, well, I, I just, I, I can't. I mean, I could, but it's going to sound like crap. I can't play <laughs> right. those notes in that sequence, you know? Yeah. So then you have to know what key they're in and the scales that they're more comfortable for trumpet players and trombone players. And Exactly. And that's even more difficult. At least the cello is similar it's, to the guitar in that it's yeah. all right there. You, you see it. You see what's happening. Yeah. But trumpet, it's like if you're not pretty familiar with it, I'm sure you could very easily write something impossible. Um, yeah. Yeah, we could do on guitar too. But I was going to say, with Awaken then, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the lyrics because I'm always curious about like you said, and this was obviously, this is a song that you'd had kicking around for a little while. Yeah. And as a lyricist myself, the germ of an idea is always interesting where that comes from. And I was wondering whether, because, sorry, I'm rambling here, but the cadence of the line, let's get out of town tonight. It's time you and I awaken. And I love the way that awaken is just two syllables and it punches the end of that line. So I was curious whether awaken was the start of the song and you built it out from it, or whether you were working with that line and awaken became the word that you used. Um, so yeah, Awaken is interesting in that, um, the, the music came to me first, which is not unusual, but it's certainly extremely unusual the way that this music came to me. And, and I've had this happen exactly one time in the, the song came to me in a dream and, um, it was myself and my family at a park family barbecue kind of thing. And of course, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers are there. And Tom comes up to me and he kind of whispers in my ear like, hey, man, you, you want to hear a new song? And um, I was like, yeah, that, I think 
I speak for everyone. That would be great. So, and then all of a sudden they were set up right there, the whole band. Um, and they played that song. They played that song. I mean, the chords, the, the flow of the guitar, the, the drum pattern, the hi-hats and how that, like I actually remembered all of that and the vocal melody. Wow. When I woke up and managed to, you know, get to my cell phone or whatever. I, I can't remember anymore. This is a little bit ago. Uh, and and preserve that. The thing that I didn't remember word for word was the lyrics. But I do remember they were very sort of tongue in cheek, kind of almost funny lyrics, but I couldn't put my finger on it. So I figured, well, I don't need to, rec you know, since I, I don't quite remember them, I'm not going to try and recreate that i'm gonna just say okay now i've got this music and what does it say to me like yeah. on the spot you know without trying to reconjure something and without of course trying to be imitative uh either because you know um it is in fact not a tom petty song though i'm glad that he gave me this gift and, and this is while he was still alive too um it's probably 10 12 years ago maybe Right. Uh, and I don't know, it just popped in there. But but I will say that the pattern of the, the lyrics, like you point out, you know, the, the way that Awaken falls, that's all just like he sang it in the dream. Wow. The, you know, that two syllable thing. Uh, but the lyrics just sort of came to me very quickly. I don't know. It just, you know, once every once in a while, it's not a struggle. And, yeah. um, you know, and it just the the concept of what the song was about, or maybe the word came to me first, I don't know. And it, and it kind of just wrote itself. Um, it's one of those songs. And then the bridge, that part was not, was not part of the dream. Um, so that's, uh, I just thought it needed, you know, yeah. something else. I mean, as is the song's only two and a half minutes, I think. So, um, <laughs> yeah, without that part, it would probably clock in under two. Um, yeah, it was a gift. What can I say from uh, from um, from Mr. Petty and my brain, and uh, and it just worked out. But at the same time, um, the band that I was in at the time was um, was pretty alt rock, you know, in that Pearl Jam, Stone Temple Pilotsy type <laughs> of world, and it just didn't fit. It just yeah. didn't fit, and I wasn't gonna try and force it. So you just sort of, I recorded a demo. And I tabled it and said, it'll have its time. I don't know when. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you said, you said something interesting there that you didn't want to be imitative. And I'd actually written that down that I always like it when you can hear someone's influences and they're not afraid to let them out. Right. But it's exactly that. I'm, I'm just fine where, because I'd written something down that I thought was a really good sentence. It's bugging me that I can't find it now. I write loads <laughs> of notes. But it, but it was exactly that, that it sounds kind of like a tom petty song because you've again you've got sort of the the title line is is the chorus essentially which he did from time to time it's got this really sort of hopeful forward-looking thing you know uh, that anywhere we land we'll plant a new seed in that soul i think is the yeah. line so again it's got that same thing that you know i just just covered uh, king's highway which is the same type of song right it's the same kind right. of right that's exactly it, right Right, so it's got all the elements of a petty song, but it sounds because you have got a distinctive voice as well, and you've got this cello in. It definitely doesn't sound like you're trying to be Tom Petty or you're trying to very overtly sound like someone. So to pull that off and to get all that 
right, all those moving pieces right, I think is always a trick. So, I, and I think you pulled it off handsomely. Oh well, thank you. And you know, and the the at the end of the day, um, you wouldn't do it and not pull it off. It would just be something that ended up never going anywhere. You know, if it just yeah. was like, no, it's it's a rip off. It's a Tom Petty rip off. Then I would never have done anything with it. Or if it, it you know, whether that's sonically, whether it's lyrically, whether it's anything vocally, you know, um, yeah. so. It would only see the light of day if it was like, okay, I think nobody's going to be like upset by this. Um, <laughs> and and if anything, they'll say, oh, isn't that cool? As opposed to, dude, you're you're a ripoff artist, you know. So yeah, thank sure. you. Yeah. Uh, I, and I, I appreciate it. Yeah. And I love the nods in the video too, because obviously, you know, the, the video starts, and I'm going to share this, folks, with my listeners. Um, the video starts with you loading some records into a suitcase to head onto the road, and on right on the top there is Full Moon Fever, yeah. which of course is a great traveling record. And then also in the video, there's another little nod with the with the telly, the cream colored telly, which I always think of the Petty Telly now, just because it's that, you know what I mean? It's so right. iconically him. Right. That's right. So and. Uh... And when we listen, you know, there's a moment where, where I hit play and it's free falling on the stereo. And I wanted to be running down a dream, but the title's too long. So it didn't show up all at once in the, so I'm like, <laughs> ah, all right, well, we can't get too precious here. Free falling it is. Um, but yeah, that's right. And then, and the opening shot where we're playing in that abandoned um, parking lot, I was, you know, going for a. Uh, the day before, of course, everything happens the day before. So the day before <laughs> I'm in this thrift shop near our house and I, with uh, with Damn the Torpedoes uh, in my hands. And I'm like, okay, do you have anything like that? And I'm putting on all kinds of, you know, black, right. whatever it is, like sweater jackets. And none of them were just like, no, I can't find a single <laughs> thing that looks just like, no, if I had started a month before, I'd probably been able to. So didn't work out. So I just went with a black jean jacket over a red shirt and a, yeah. and a Rickenbacker and figured, all right, that's close, <laughs> close enough. enough, but not so close <laughs> that anyone's probably going to notice that that's what I was trying for. Okay. So the video then is, it's a lot of sort of scenes, right? You've got like, and, and lots of different places. So how much time did you spend putting that together? Because obviously, you know, if you, to get that five second shot of you outside, you know, this, this building with the big happy face on that it yeah. pans up. You've got to travel to all these different places. Well, it must have been a ton of fun putting that together. It, yeah, it's, you know, for me, uh, the music part of anything is never the work. It's yeah. fun. And the video part, that's definitely more the work because it's just <laughs> not something that naturally comes to probably most musicians who aren't like... Yeah actor musicians um which neither of us are that's for sure but fortunately mika is a videographer oh, okay. and a photographer so she kind of handles all that even though she's on camera she still manages to uh to do the off-camera work as well but most of that was filmed within four miles of our house here almost every shot is really? filmed in pasadena arcadia um, glendora all around the san gabriel valley here um which, uh, you know, I don't think Petty ever lived in Pasadena, but at least he said the name Pasadena <laughs> in a song once. So, I mean, that's there's some uh, credibility there, right? Um, uh, so that one shot is of the elegant farmer in McQuanago, Wisconsin, where um, we we were touring over the spring. Okay. So we, we played a show in... Um, in Chicago. And then we went out and played a show in Lake Geneva 
um, where we were getting a lot of radio play with Awaken. It was actually, it was crazy. We found out that through a company out of Minneapolis that does radio promotions, they, they wrote us out of the blue and they were like, hey, just wondering like, who does your distribution or your management or whatever? How did you manage to get like a number one song on the radio out here? And And I was like, I think you have the wrong band, my friend. There's no way that. And then he's like, "No, no, no! Take a look at the charts." And and sure enough, like we were the most spun song, "Awaken," um, How cool is and, that? and this radio station in Lake Geneva, like that's crazy. So, and Lake Geneva is a hop, skip, and a jump from my my second home, as anyone who has anything to do with it says. I, I'm the music director of a summer camp. Okay. Um, in McQuanago, Wisconsin, just down the street from the Elegant Farmer with the happy face um, <laughs> on the side of the building. I've been doing that for 19 years um, called Bieber Camp. And so it was just crazy, yeah, that we were on the radio just, you know, moments from summer camp. Um, and we had borrowed a guitar to from my summer camp for our tour. So okay. we had stopped by to uh, return it and then you know, we had already started the video at that point. So I'm just like, I don't know. Let's just get a quick selfie here. Maybe there's something to it because <laughs> such a cheery building. Um, so but other than that, um, it's all filmed right here in our in our backyard, so to speak. Well, that's super cool because it doesn't feel that way. It feels like there's space in there. And obviously, like I mean, people who know the area would probably go, oh, yeah, that's just that's here and that's that store and that's this part. But from right. uh, when you're disconnected from it, it does feel like, a, you know, the Into the Great Wide Open or it feels like there's there's space and there's dimension within that. Yeah, video, and that's the great cool. thing about this area and L.A. in general, too, is that there's just so many different things all in one yeah. space. So, yeah, the, like that, you know, those beautiful lush gardens at the end is just like, you know, 30 seconds from the train station, which is, you know, and the, the abandoned tracks, which is just 10 minutes from that abandoned um, parking lot and, you know, all this stuff. Yeah. So it's nice. And, you you know, you kind of file things away in your mind when you know that you are in a band and probably going to make videos from time to time. You know, you notice certain places where it's like, okay, I want to remember this. Yeah. Uh, like Like that opening in that abandoned lot with that, that boarded up restaurant in the back, you know, we said like, this is a good spot for something. We got to film here one day and we did. And then not more than six months later and we passed by, it's gone. The boarded up restaurant's been knocked down. So we, we, we scored on the timing with that one. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Hey, because, you know, as a songwriter, especially if you're a lyricist, you are very, it is sometimes very visual and something like that, even just something like that, you can think, Oh, something there's something about that right and you i can use that and it might not even be as a, in a video it might be just as a lyric there might be a reference to it or it might it evoke some sort of emotion or something yeah but you, you take all of those things right and i think i'm i always wonder what people think about how songs are written and if you talk to some people if you're not a musician people have no idea right but it's like it never just comes from one place it's it's that thing of being open to everything that's around you and just drawing what you need from any experience or a place or just a, or even a melody or whatever it is um so I want to talk to you a little bit about then talking about those things. Yeah. Um, where did you grow up? What was your experience with music growing up? What what sort of things were sort of permeating your brain as a young kid? Like, what, what, are you from Pasadena originally, or is Pasadena? No, where I'm you moved from to? Uh, Tucson, Arizona, and oh, okay. um, Tucson. You know, not a, not a great music scene. It wasn't then. 
It's not now. It feel like it could be. I feel like it should be. Um, but it's not exactly, you know, so like Mika, my, my, uh, better half, she grew up in Minneapolis. So she was going to see, you know, underground punk shows, this sort of thing, you know, with her siblings from the time she was very young, she was sneaking off to watch. She actually, her mom pulled her out of school to go find a little perch to watch uh, Purple Rain being filmed. They were doing some warehouse scene and they found out about it. So they were up on like a hill looking down, you know. So she's a, you know, a rock and roll junkie, but myself, (laughs) not so much when it comes to just normal life. So, um, but my, you know, my big inspiration when I did decide, okay, I'm gonna sit down at the piano and have a, you know, let's see what this is all about. Definitely started out just learning every Doors song that I could. That was okay. kind of my, you know, and I, I do have a lot of older siblings, just like just like Mika does. They might not have been taking me to a lot of shows, but definitely I, you know, inherited their vinyl collections and their yeah. tastes in music and stuff like that. So, um, so that's, you know, that was my first real rock band that like them and the Beatles, you know, that were like really meant yeah. something to me. And so that was kind of my goal was to try and figure out all those songs. Um, and then, you know, you start picking up more and more and, and then, and then I started playing in a band, you know, it started out for a high school project. Um, but then we, you know, we stayed together for, for all those years, um, in high school. And then we, you know, we went our separate ways to some degree. Um, but even just right now, you know, I have texts from two days ago, we're trying to, do some music online together, uh, which yeah. of course is easier and easier. So that's fun. But that's really what did it for. I mean, if I was not in a band in high school and it didn't mean something like it did, I, I, I would not have ended up a musician and I would not have probably ended up an engineer. I don't think any of that would have happened. So uh, just the influence that we had on, on each other and really, yeah caring and arguing over music and and um compromising yeah. and and all that is is why I do what I do today for sure and that's that's sort of a you know the music's one thing and and having an ear like music music is innate to a certain degree obviously i mean you can get better in the 10,000 right. dollars but that um that idea that people say who are your influences and people when you just said like obviously the beatles but really actually and I find your influences are all your friends, the people who yeah. brought music and say, hey, listen to this, check this out. Or, hey, I, I taped a tape, you know, I recorded this on the radio. Have you, have you heard the new X album or this, 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 this song? That's the stuff that really gets you excited, right? Because as a kid, it, that's your shared thing with your friends. And especially if it's a band that no one else is listening to. Right. But for me, it was 10CC and, and okay. One Ash. Those are the bands that I was listening to that no one else, none of my peers listened to. But me yeah. and my buddy, that's what, that's what we bonded over. So I love that sort of that. That's your formative early experience, right? And I was just gonna, I was gonna comment too that Tucson, Arizona, always makes me think of Paul Simon, because right. the because that's the first time I'd ever heard of it. I didn't know what it was. I was like, that's a Tucson, Arizona. I think I want to live there one day. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It doesn't show up in songs all that often, but uh, <laughs> but that's right. Paul Simon and and you know that obviously the 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 person he did that duet with on that mentions Tucson is Linda Ronstadt, who is yeah. like, that's the pride of Tucson, Arizona. Cause there's just not a lot of artists who came out of Tucson. <laughs> there's just not, you know, there's plenty out of Phoenix, yeah. but Tucson, big, not so much. How big a place is it? 
I mean, it's, you know, the, the whole metro area is getting close to a million people. So it's not oh. small. But when my family moved out there, I was just a year old when they moved out there. And it was, you know, okay. of course, they do the whole, oh, all of this used to just be desert. And now it's shopping malls. And, you know, <laughs> isn't that the case everywhere, I suppose? Yeah. Um, and then there's also, of course, uh, let's not forget, uh, JoJo left his home in Tucson, Arizona for some California grass. And McCartney yeah. did live in Tucson for a while because Linda McCartney... Is a, she's from Tucson, and she went to the University of Arizona, okay. uh, like I did, and they they that. did have a house there. Yeah, I didn't know she was from Tucson. That's cool. Yeah, she got a she degree in photography from Arizona. I I can't swear she was born there, but she definitely went to college there and and uh, yeah. stayed there. Do you ever find that I was talking to a friend about this the other day that when you're talking about you know bands that you love or bands that are influential or whatever, you sort of just put the Beatles off to one side because, well, of course, and you said it, of course the Beatles. It's like, there's right. no point having a conversation about who's the best at this book of all. It's the Beatles, and then we can have the conversation about everyone else. They were just that big. And and not just culturally important, but I, I go back and, and listen to their songs again with a more critical ear, and you just think, they really were that good. There's a reason why their music's lasted so long. There's a reason why people are still in love with it. It's because the core songs, apart from the Fab Four and Beatlemania and everything else that sort of surrounded it, the songs themselves were just so perfectly constructed. Yeah, and and it's like part of them knew somehow from the very beginning that, that they weren't going to be together that long because they just evolved so yeah. quickly um, as opposed to other bands that went through as many lives of you know sounds and exper yeah. you know but 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 more you know more slowly um so yeah no that's exactly right i know i don't think about them when someone says who's your favorite bands you do you set them aside yeah and uh yeah and obviously that was the same thing for tom and tom says that you know when the beatles came for a whole generation of kids it was well, like I, we can do that we can get four of us in a room and we can just thrash around and make a bunch of noise. We can do that. You know, we can't do the big band stuff or we can't do some of the, you know, the country stuff that's really intricate with all the slide and the pedal steel and everything, but rock yeah. and roll we can do. So do you remember first hearing Petty then? Like what are your first memories of Tom Petty sort of infiltrating your consciousness and then you sort of growing your growing appreciation for his, for his music? Yeah. It's, you know, like a lot of, um, because I wasn't like a music nut, from a, you know, I have so many friends who are going to concerts when they were six years old. You know, yeah. going to see Kiss, and you know, like, and it just wasn't, it just wasn't me. Um, and you know, I'd listen to the pop station, whatever the equivalent of top forty is. You know, where you yeah. are or where I like, and I and and I wouldn't be like, I got to go see this live, or I need to buy this album. It wasn't that at all. I just, that's what you listen to. That's what's on in like class and stuff like that. So, I mean, yeah. the first Petty song that I, that I remember knowing was Don't Come Around Here No More, but I didn't know who it was. Right. And in fact, it was years later that I put two and two together because it doesn't sound like him at all. So <laughs> I was kind of shocked when I found out that like, oh my God, that song is Petty. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, but the first time that I sort of consciously was like, Oh, here's Tom Petty, and and uh, there's his name and stuff. It was uh, just my buddy John in junior high had gotten the um, had gotten Full Moon Fever on CD, and I I think that the reason that he was like, oh, you got to hear this, it had nothing to do with the songs. It was right. that thing in the middle, the hello CD <laughs> listeners, <laughs> with the barn animal noises and stuff yeah. like that. That's what he's like. You got to hear this man, but. 
Um, but then I put, you know, that's when I first put two and two together, the face, the name, and the fact that all those songs got massive play on the radio, Free Fallen and so forth. And, and, um, and then, you know, so I was like, okay, I like this. I like this, but I don't know what to do with that yeah. per se yet. Um, then the first time that I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going out and buying this album was Wildflowers when it, you know, it was just... It, it really hit, you know, and and that was at a time when someone like him, you know, I remember that album, everything about it was made to feel like this is his middle age album, you know, like yeah. the the simple jeans and sitting down and the beard and all that. But that's not how it came across. You know, I was I was yeah a freshman or sophomore maybe and and it was popular it was big in the dorm you know right. it was not like it was like oh grandpa petty put out an <laughs> album it was a landmark record that people were into and that got me more more into him and and i guess i really became a fan fan um at that point but but even before that there's just something about the simplicity of what he does, the simplicity of his writing and his message. And it was so different from anything that, you know, you, people talk about influences and no matter how much you like something, it doesn't, that that's not what influence means. Um, yeah. And so I didn't have a way to be influenced by Petty in high school. What we were doing in our band was just so radically different than that. <laughs> and it, And we were listening to much more prog rock, types of stuff okay. um that's the stuff that was influencing us more um we weren't a super simple band um so but later on when i started and, and by the way we were completely instrumental so there was no vocals at all in our band okay um and then when i started realizing that i might not have a great voice but i may as well use it and started actually writing song songs with lyrics and stuff like that that's when it was like okay now Petty has become a big influence because he does so much with so little and cuts straight to the heart of things. Yeah. Um, so, and, and then it just, you know, it got more and more. So be before that I was, you know, a greatest hits fan. Yeah. Um, but wildflowers and on is when I would say I was a, you know, a serious fan. Do you think it's an interesting idea there because I've talked to other people about this again. I think, you know, if you were there from the beginning, there's an urgency and immediacy about that first album. Of course, there is any rock and roll band making the first right. album is going to have a bit of energy. But he's an artist that, when you get to Wildflowers, now he's a songwriter's musician. You know what I mean? Like, he's got that thing where if you actually write songs and, and you, you make music professionally, you can sit and listen to that record and think, that's just a guy at the absolute tip top of the tree. You don't do it any better than that. And I think it really just changes. I think he's, he's an artist that you need to spend time with, I think. And I think the older you get, the better Petty gets. I've always thought, you know, yeah, and you know, and I gotta say the the sound of Jeff Lynne isn't my favorite sound in yeah. the world. Uh, so I, you know, I thought Wildflowers is a big statement. On top of that, that we're just going, you know, back to rock and roll basics. Yeah, and um, you know, and but it didn't come across as back to roots. It didn't come across as like that kind of record it was definitely a forward-looking thing but going yeah. back to a you know just a bigger raw or rock sound um that you know that yeah that he kept exploring over time 
We should talk though. I mean, quickly about. I mean, Full Moon Fever did inspire um, a song for you, right? The, the title of that album. So you had a, a project. Um, what's the what's the project called? The the title trackers. Title trackers. There, we go. I couldn't remember the, the name of the band. Yeah. So just briefly, sort of explain to my listeners what that was about, because this is super cool. Yeah. So I was in a band with you know all the bands that I play with around here. We're all a little bit incestuous. You know, I play <laughs> bass for him, and he plays guitar for me, yeah. and he drums for. It's a lot of the same members. So a couple of my you know my best friends in in bands they they would joke from time to time about like uh, how they would prank call each other and like you know leave a voice message saying hey man i'm going to the stones tonight i can't wait to hear exile on mine straight <laughs> and, and leaving the other person to think like wait a minute is that a song <laughs> like there's no title track on that record is there like and then and no there's not and so they would tell me these stupid stories and and being like you know putting on my producerly hat i'm like wait this is this is a good idea this has yeah. merit we should do a whole record of these and <laughs> And it seemed very silly until we recorded the first one. And then it's like, no, that's really good. Yeah. So let's keep going. So each of us would write and sing according to our strengths. So me, we're all petty guys, every one of us. But I have the most similar voice. So I wrote us. I figured, all right, I'm gonna, let's write a title track to, um, to Damn the Torpedoes. So I wrote this song, just a chorus. Yeah. And I played it for, um, for Dave, my bandmate. And he's like, this is great. This is great. But, but it's not damn the torpedoes. This should be full moon fever. Like you should rewrite the lyrics. So right. I'm like, Oh, okay. And and then, you know, part of what we do is a sonic parody. Well, there's not a lot to sonically parody about damn the torpedoes. It's just a rock record, but yeah. the Jeff Lynn production of full moon fever, that is highly parodyable. Um, yeah. And so so yeah, we wrote a song called Full Moon Fever and and with each song on the record, you know, which are, which are all we, you know, we do one for the Doors, one for the Stones, one for the Clash. We change <laughs> the name just a little bit, you know, for legal reasons, so it's Full Moon Fever gone to our heads. And and I sung the vocal and you know, people have told me that I sound like Tom Petty for years, but I but I don't. I I sound like myself. So, you know, we were going through vocal contortions to really do our best imitations on yeah. the title trackers record so i did my very best petty that i could muster and tried to you know produce everything about the same now i know full moon fever is not all drum machines i know that but but some of it is and if, even yeah. if it's not it sounds like it is so <laughs> it's just a drum machine loop and okay. um and you know just yeah we do we, we made it sound like it came off that record as much as we could and but at the same time, you know, it was a parody project for fun. But the litmus test was, is it, you know, are these good songs? Because if not, we may as well scrap this thing. Yeah. Um, and I think it's a great song. I think it's one of the best songs I've ever, you know, written along. And I'd say the same thing of Awaken. Um, yeah. And I'm not good at complimenting myself. So, um, so you know, I really mean it. But, yeah. but that in that case, in the case of Full Moon Fever, of course, we were being overtly um we're showing our influences um, yeah to the maximum degree as opposed to awaken well it's got everything right because it's got the really densely laid guitars the big harmonies it's got that sort of muted guitar tone from walking back down you, you've thrown all, all these little nods back into the album where it's like yeah that's clever that's really really good even down yeah. to like mike campbell's slide guitar tone it's spot on like you think oh man that's just so cool 
Yeah, um, then, it was again, a lot of fun. And then a, when a we nice, translate... a nice little sound effect in the middle too that I noticed. <laughs> That's right. Yes, the bong <laughs> hit. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you know when we were translating those songs live, some of them we did in costume, um, okay. and some of them not. And and the petty one we tried. We tried a like what well, you know there isn't. He's just a you know this is the Tom Petty costume. So what are you going to do? But we yeah. went for the of course the don't come around here no more Mad Hatter thing. Yeah. And it's just like it was like costume shop stuff <laughs> and it's like ah this is a little silly we'd have to like spend a lot of time and money to get this looking really good so we scrapped it so that's one that we didn't do in costume for the most part it's just a, a you know a good song and a and a yeah. mid-tempo rocker and and usually out of costume that's awesome man yeah. i mean like i said i threw it because and you know you, you sent me an email and, and gave me that some of that info and you you do put those types of songs on with a little bit of trepidation because you think oh man if it's if it's parody or is it because a lot of them do suck but like you right. said the song itself is it's got good strong bones so everything else around it is well i like that sound i like that aesthetic and it doesn't it does well it sounds like jeff lynn but a thicker because i think that's my only criticism of forming fever and i think maybe more so maybe into great great wide open is it's just a wee bit thin on the bottom end with that the song that you know the forming fever gone to my head isn't. Yeah, exactly. It's treble heavy production for sure. Yeah. Um, but that's right. And we, you know, we figured with the record, like our, the goal would be that if nobody had heard of any of these bands before, if some, you know, someone from the uh, South African jungle comes out and, and uh, this is their first, in, that they would just be like, oh, that was good. Yeah. They wouldn't have any idea it was parody. They wouldn't know it was funny. <laughs> they wouldn't know anything. They would, but the, the people who are huge fans, they're, you know, rolling on the floor laughing, as it were. So, yeah. So that was the mark we were trying to hit is if, if somebody who doesn't know who Tom Petty is doesn't just say, like, oh, I like that song or I didn't like that song, you know, then yeah. we've then we've missed something. You know, you don't want to be able to tell that it's funny unless, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So did you ever see Petty live then? Yeah. So the first time I saw him live was the Wildflowers tour. A bunch of us, you know, okay. got, unfortunately, again, with, with Tucson, Arizona, a lot of shows <laughs> don't come through, even though we have plenty of people because Phoenix is so close. So we piled yeah. into a, whichever friend's minivan and and went up and and saw the Wildflowers tour in Phoenix in probably 95. And yeah. I mean, I got to say, I I would credit that show with one of the best as one of the best live shows I've ever seen. And, and like most people, I've seen a lot of live shows. Yeah. So, but you know, the thing that struck me every time I saw him live is, I mean, I, I, I've, you know, um, I'm not the 1% like most of us. So the number of times that I've been in the first 10 rows for a concert is pretty much zero. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. um, so we were way up in the lawn, um, at desert sky pavilion, and he just has this way of like you might be you know a football field away but that he is just singing to you yeah uh, straight to you um and that really struck me you know i hadn't yeah. seen anyone live who quite had that magical thing um that uh that every person in that place wherever they were sitting I feel like was thinking the same thing, which is like, yeah, they're speaking right to me. He seems to have that. It does occupy that strange space of those artists who not only do we love the music, but fans of Tom Petty like Tom Petty as a person. And that connection 
does seem I'm sure that you know other fanatics get it with with their favorite artists but Petty does seem special there seems to be something there that just sets him apart a little bit from most other artists I think yeah absolutely and I mean it's funny you know harking back to Full Moon Fever the character that I had in my mind for that song is not Petty himself it was completely based on Lucky you know his character yeah. in King of the Hill um, yeah. which I think is <laughs> is probably half petty and and half something that petty would laugh at and thinks yeah. is ridiculous but yeah there there's just something he's like a you know an, an every man kind of like a lot of people you know a lot of people there's variations on on what that is and and that they come across that way you know some yeah but but i don't know he occupies a particular space that nobody else does and obviously then, you, so you see him live and, and you've got Petty, so that's one thing. And you've got the songs and there's Petty, but there's this band as well. I mean, the Heartbreakers as a band. And at this point, you've played lots of gigs yourself. You're, you're a music, you know, some musician. How impressed were you with the Heartbreakers as a as a five piece? Or it would have been six. Was it six then? Or was it, was it probably was, yeah. Yeah, I think it was Scott played on that. Six. Yeah, he'd know I mean, he play on that, sorry, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, listen, they're great and they're not, any more or less than they have to be that's what it comes down to i mean and it really comes across as a band and not as yeah a solo artist with a backing band and yeah i mean it's a sound um so you <laughs> you know you can't i mean you always say you can't picture it working with anybody else but then that's not true you know people yeah. leave people pass away and then what are they gonna do just stop playing most of the time the answer to that is no and it's nice to be able to you know you have the old and the new and you see how people integrate and um yeah. uh just like you know the older that people get it's just it's just what it is but but you hope that that person's influence is still playing into what yeah, you know what the people who take over are doing. I mean, if you listen to that new Stones record, you would put a hundred bucks down that is Charlie Watts playing on yeah. every track, but he's only on two or three tracks. And Steve Jordan just embodies, uh, you know, he, he interprets and embodies yeah. what he does. And so I think it, you know the same is true of the Heartbreakers when when a, a new member comes in for for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, I mean Tom just is a is was a consummate professional and his band yeah. reflects that perfectly and and um and everyone occupies their space and it all just fits together so beautifully like you said i mean the only the only member i think that i don't know whether the heartbreakers would have studied if mike had ended up leaving or something happened there i i, I don't know if the, you know and especially because tom and him wrote so closely and worked so closely. I don't right. know if that one would have worked, but everyone else, like you said, I mean, you can they replace Stan Lynch with Steve Ferroni, who is just a God-level drummer. Yeah. Um, They replaced, you know, Howie came in and replaced Ron, then Ron replaced Howie. But then you've got, at the core is this band that can play pretty much anything at the drop of hat, it seems. And then they end up going on tour with Dylan, and you'd written and told me that you do play the Dylan Fest um, in the South Bay every year. Um, and so how much, how much of a joy is that when you get to play Dylan songs? And then, you know, I think you said you play, you do background vocals on Jamming Me. So you still managed to get a little bit of Petty in there. Yeah, that's right. It's sort of um, cheating, that, that, but there's one band that I that I play with. Again, it's all the same people that are in all my bands because it just <laughs> is. It's just with a different name, um, Dry September, that uh, every year 
for many years does Jam and Me and Wanted Man by Johnny Cash. Now, the rule yeah. is you can't play anything that's not Dylan, that Dylan didn't write. But that's right. two co-writes for other artists. <laughs> um, so it's a bit of a cheat. But yeah, it is definitely fun to uh, to throw a little variety in there because there's a lot of Dylan purists there. And there's a, you know, it it's yeah. an eight-hour show. Eight hours of Dylan songs. So anything you can do to sort of, you know, throw in a, a little bit of a curveball is, is yeah. a good thing. Yeah. Um, but yes, it is fun to stand in Mike Campbell's shoes. Well, for the guitar, I guess backing vocals would probably be Howie Epstein. Yeah. yeah. Back in the, yeah. Um, yeah. And play that one, which is, a, you know, obviously a bit more of a straight up rocker than Dylan tends to have in his catalog. I mean, he, he's got a couple, but. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm a huge Dylan fan too. I mean, I think Highway 61 revisited is might be I wouldn't say the best album ever written, but it's certainly in that same conversation. Because yeah, it, it it just again as a lyricist, you think where the hell does this come from? The sun's not yellow, it's chicken. What? Who? How do you write that line down and then think, yeah, that's a good line. I'll leave that in the song. It's it's insane right. that album to me, you know. Right, and I yeah, and I, where does it come from? And and <laughs> I think. You know, the answer is he doesn't know either. Uh, yeah. Famously, when he was interviewed in whatever it was, the mid-90s or early 2000s on um, 60 Minutes or whatever, and, and he was asked, you know, can you still do that? Can you can you write like that? And he said no. Yeah. You know, because he's not, you know, you your muse changes over time and your antenna or whatever yeah. you would call it. And uh, and he was honest in that, like, yeah. no, he can't do that anymore. Um, so he probably doesn't know where it came from. When you, I don't think you would want Dylan to either, right? Because Dylan is a chameleon, and he does go through all these different skins and sort of changes the way he sounds and the types of music he's writing. And, and 61 and Blonde on Blonde are just this, this rich period. Like, you know, Wildflowers, she's the one... It's that same period where you just get into this groove where it's just flowing out of you. So get as much of it down as you possibly can. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And and yeah, now I mean, you know, the stuff, the records he puts out, they're they're a little strange. They're a little yeah. but but yeah, I mean, at least he's not striving to, for a glory days. You know, that's what you yeah. I guess want to avoid, um, is forced glory days. I mean, there are people who just do something and then they never lose that they 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 get a career out of yeah the stones being you know in that category i think um totally. and then there's the people who who really do you know have a, a spectrum of change over the course of a career yeah you look at the last two albums in petty's catalog mojo and hypnotic eye i mean w what a pair of albums to be able to release late career when yeah. like you said most artists then just drift into greatest hits mode we'll put a record out every three four years just so we can get out on tour and we can tour some stuff but it's those two albums i always say on this podcast is especially hypnotic eye is the, is an artist that's still the trajectory is still up you know he's not run out of ideas yet he's not run out of different ways to express what he thinks what he feels what he has to say that's right and i think he just had a work ethic you know like i think yeah. he thought of music as his job and himself as, as an employer uh, as much as the art you know the artistic side of it is one thing and then yep. and then just the like this is what I do you know I don't think he's ever someone who would go into uh, hermit mode right because uh, it's just I don't think that was his work ethic 
and I know, you know, a lot of his the, the members of the Heartbreakers I, I saw in, in interviews, the, you know, the, the reason that they were so quickly back out on the road with other artists is just like, that's what Tom instilled in us. Yeah. You get out there and you work. Yeah. So it's, it's the, and I always, you know, the, the ethos to live by is take what you do seriously, never take yourself seriously. And I think that that take what you do seriously, that is that work ethic. Yeah. Right? That is that part of, you know, this is a job and, you know, we get on stage and we do the best show we can possibly do every single night because people have paid yeah. people want, and people, I'm sick of playing refugee, but people want to hear it. Or I'm, I don't really want to play American girl for the 10,000th time, but right. these fine people are taking, they've got babysitters. They've, you know, so, and that, that sense of um, professionalism is the thing that again, as an older, you know, as I get older in my life, I appreciate that more and more and more and more because you do see bands kicking off and having little hissy fits on stage and like Royal Blood, I don't know if you saw that whole thing that they did on Royal Blood, and they had this thing about you guys suck, you're not a rock and roll audience like, dude, just, you're being paid play your songs and do your job you know, so yeah, yeah, and you know and if you get bored do something different, you yeah. know um, because you always have that option um like uh, we went to see the who a, a few years back and um you know obviously everyone's waiting for um the turner you know won't get fooled again to kick in uh yeah. but it was with an orchestra and they needed a break you know the union breaks because they're touring with an orchestra so they were just like well we're gonna do that song just um the two of us acoustic you know and 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 the band oh, takes that, a break so it like, must have been cool though oh it was awesome yeah, yeah. To, like complete any disappointment is gone within the first 10 seconds yeah and and with american girl uh i don't know if petty ever did a version of american girl that's like what what campbell and tench did after petty died you know that that plaintive yeah. piano version. And I just saw Ben Montench solo here in LA and he, he closed, he didn't do any petty songs. Just the encore was yeah. American girl. Just like that really slow, you know, yeah, like lump in the throat voice kind of thing. And it's like, yeah, you would never think of, um, arranging that song that way. Uh, but like so many good songs, it's the song it'll yeah, work it'll 100%. work you do it any number of different ways it's gonna work and um and it's, it's just a very emotional version of a song that i never considered emotional it's like a roll the roll the windows down song and you know and rock out um but like the impacts when you hear it a different way is significant i was Benmont because i again i think you know mike and the dirty knobs they're just a down and dirty rock and roll band and I'm, I'm i really hope they come through canada at some point ben Mont's an entirely different proposition obviously because he is a and he's a monster musician can play anything with keys brilliant keyboardist but you don't necessarily think of ben montanch and live show i don't think a solo so how, how how was it it was very enjoyable i mean he just it just seems like your uncle in his living room <laughs> kind of vibe yeah. um you know just he was very personable and you know sort of just chit chatty and silly and you know yeah. he had some lyrics for one of the songs and he's like oh yeah i didn't want to put on the reading glasses but i uh, but i'm gonna fuck it up otherwise so you know <laughs> does that and he just sat at the piano and and did his thing some instrumental yeah. stuff some vocal stuff yeah he, he sings great yeah um 
some stuff from you know the the records he's put out or stuff that he wants to put out and i mean it was very enjoyable it was and it's as tiny as this club largo okay. uh in la that's that's like your uncle's living room type of vibe it's a black almost a black box theater kind of thing it's not very yep. big um the acoustics are incredible and it was cool yeah just like this old upright piano and and um it was fun yeah i think that's that thing of i think you mentioned this earlier right with with production and that kind of stuff it's it doesn't i mean if it's an old upright piano or it's a little cassiotone keyboard or it's a steinway grand it's the fingers that are playing it that really make the difference and when those fingers are attached to ben montage it's going to be amazing yeah exactly plus when you're a professional you i mean obviously he's play, i've seen him there before too um he joined john bryan um for for half of a show that i okay. saw at largo years ago this is the first time i've seen him just by himself but i'm sure he's familiar with that piano and if it wasn't going to do the trick he would rent the right piano and he would yeah. bring it in like that's what you know like you yeah part of being great all the time is is doing the groundwork to know that you have the best chance of being great all the time so you know part of the illusion of just like it was perfect is making sure that it's perfect um being well rehearsed and it's that thing of going to the room first just have a just gonna have a quick quick look at the room yeah you get a sense of oh okay that's they're not gonna okay i can they need to see or that whole thing of again it just comes down to professionalism i guess okay so before we get into my 10 questions i wanted to ask you about steve Ferroni's 60th birthday party. You mentioned that you. Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Um, so I've, for almost since I moved to LA, I've been working um, as a engineer, uh, live show uh, production manager, stage manager, associate producer of records for David Pack, who uh, is the singer of Ambrosia. Okay. Or or was. He was a founding member of Ambrosia. He wrote all their biggest hits and he hasn't played with them live in, in many years. Um he does his own thing. But he uh yeah, he's friends with Ferroni. Okay. Um so I'd met him once or twice because he joined David on stage for a song or two here and there, um yeah. at various different things. Um but David was going to go to his, yeah, he was having a 60th birthday party at his, I think it was his house uh, in the Valley. And, and David asked me, Hey, are you around that night? And I'm like, I will make myself around that. <laughs> night, I guess. Um, so yeah. And then they, you know, they played, um, there's a, just a big band of just various hooligans that, uh, yeah. that played. And, and um, so, yeah, that, that was fun. Um, and then interestingly, um, in on April first of twenty twenty, I and David and his band were supposed to set sail on a cruise, one of those uh, rock and roll cruises out of Florida, and um, it was like uh, David and a couple other guys who have some big hits that, that you know play together and they alternate yeah. their hits and stuff like that with all star backing band kind of thing. And Ferroni was actually the drummer; he was going to be the drummer. Oh, wow. Um, and he hadn't played one of those types of shows with David before. So in probably in February, I went out, Steve, he was playing at this coffee, Jones Coffee Roasters here in Pasadena. Like it's this little cool coffee shop. That's what's great about LA, right? Is you can walk yeah. into a a coffee shop at 9 a.m. 
on a Wednesday and there's a rock and roll hall of fame drummer sitting there playing with his jazz combo. Like it's yeah. a fun time. So I went to meet him there and then I, he said, okay, why don't you, you know, come back to my, to my studio. Cause we can rehearse there for the show. Um, so I went back and just, you know, he showed me what mics he had and what the PA was and the wedges and the, the you know, I took pictures of the room so that yeah. I could, uh, report back and figure out if we needed to bring in, you know, what amps we needed to bring in for the rehearsal and stuff like that. It's needless to say that rehearsal never happened. Um, and that cruise never happened and, um, womp womp. Um, but anyway, he's a great guy. Uh, just a very soft spoken British, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And just the same with like, I think maybe it is like, if you, if you're a musician, if music isn't just a hobby, like Steve Ferroni just loves playing. That comes across all because he's done, you know, he's been up on stage with Petty Theft, tribute band in San Francisco. Right. He'll get up on stage with, you know, he, he did the thought thing with Jake Thistle at the, the first birthday bash. All the, He just loves playing. And I think that that sense of the joy of music always just radiates from Steve Ferroni. Anytime I've seen him interviewed, anytime I've seen him play, you can tell that he's having fun. Yeah, and um, and I'm sure that he, you know, it was just a, a scheduling conflict. I imagine that he wasn't playing with the Dirty Knobs at first. I, I, yeah. I saw that actually the Dirty Knobs open for the Who, so that's where I saw them was at the Hollywood okay, Bowl. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't Ferroni at that time on drums. Um, it was Matt Log, I think. Yeah. Um, so I haven't seen them with Ferroni, but it just makes sense that he'd be playing with them. You know, like yeah, why not? Um, it's fun. I love him. And it's and it's your work, yeah, that's right. And yeah. but hey, I mean, you know, listen, that that sixtieth birthday party was a lot more than ten years ago. So Veroni <laughs> could very easily, like so many of these people in rock and roll today, very easily just be retired. Yeah, but it's just not. That's not in their blood. What are you going to do? Was he going to sit around? Was he going to golf? Like, no, he wants to play drums, and that's just keep playing until you drop, man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a great place to finish. Um. Where can people find your music? Let's tell people. Yeah, where they so can get to. so uh, the next door here for those for hello video watchers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, so the next doors is um, yeah my my current project with my wife that we talked uh, a fair bit about. Um, our debut record is called Linda Vista, and it is available everywhere that you consume your music. Um, the Spotify's, the Apple Music's, all that, but if and Bandcamp, etc. We do have CDs for sale as well. Um, you can go to nextdoorsmusic.com, nextdoorsmusic.com, and then you can find links to everything that you need links to, and and all that good stuff. Um, the titletrackers.com. You can see a little bit more about that. Yeah, and then for my own personal, like uh, you know, bands productions, all that good stuff. It's highwheelentertainment.com. Okay. That's high without a GH. So just H-I wheelentertainment.com. Um, yeah. And then uh, in terms of next doors, uh, yeah, we did tour a little bit behind our record. We are, we just put out a video for Awaken uh, that we talked about earlier. We're working on a video right now for the song All Right Here on our okay. record and we are thinking about uh album number two and doing some demoing and uh, stuff like that so that'll probably be a 2024 thing um so that's what uh that's what we're up to at the moment fantastic and all those links folks will be in the episode notes so please do go make sure you go check that out and again if you are gonna go anywhere go to Bandcamp, 
because you can send some money and that goes almost all of that goes to the artist where Spotify and Apple, as we know, pays absolutely peanuts and you can get an album on Bandcamp for a really good price. So consider if you've got a few bucks, go spend some money for an indie, indie artist. It makes a massive difference. That's right. And that doesn't mean that you need to not listen on Spotify because yes, that's very convenient, but, yeah. but, uh, and this goes with uh, any artist, of course, you know, just, um, you know, buy the record uh, if you can. And then, listen to it on spotify and apple yep. music and whatever is convenient um but uh yes it is appreciated and we did put out our album on Bandcamp about a month before we put it out on streaming and you know people are very very happy to buy it and to to pre-purchase and to support and Absolutely. um and that's nice and i think you know if you're into tom petty which if you listen to this podcast chances are you probably are um, I think you will like the songs that Russell writes. Um, again, I think simplicity is a watchword. I, I, you know, you were talking about what your voice, but I really like your voice. So it, it is, it's enough like Petty in times that you can you can find an angle to get into it. But it's yeah. very distinctly and uniquely yours. The album's fantastic. Um, and so yeah, go check all that stuff out. And uh, I'll be back with you next week to talk about well, whatever it is. I'm not too sure when I'm scheduling this, and Russell. <laughs> I'll let you know so we can connect social media. But I'm going to share um, the video for Awaken this week. And just tease people that were that we've been chatting. So, thanks so much for taking time out to talk to me. It's been a blast. Oh, super appreciated. You know, the the great thing that, uh, like everything, including Spotify, social media has its ups and downs. But the ability to just reach out and say hey and connect uh, from yeah. across uh, international borders and um, and all that is is the great and glorious side of social media. So, thank you. And uh, this has been a lot of fun. Awesome, man. Well, you enjoy your uh, you enjoy your trip. Safe travels. Thank you, thank you. We'll do it. We'll see you next time. You bet, man. Thanks so much.